The following class was held at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at RedeemerNC.org. All right, so I tried to leave you hanging. Now, I feel like I may have scared you all just a little bit because I noticed a lot of people getting coffee. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I don't, I don't mean to make you scared, but, but I, just, I just do want to say this. So I told, I told my brother Don, I said, I'm really worried about this second session because it's late and all this stuff. And I said, I even have some jokes. And he's going, no, you don't. I said, yes, I do. He said, let me read them. I don't think he trusted me. But anyway, so I'm just going to read you some of these because they're coffee jokes. A day without coffee is like, just kidding, I don't know. <laughs> okay, I love it. There's another one I just love. They said I could be anything, so I decided to be caffeinated. <laughs> Do you get it? You, you kind of have to think about that one just a little bit. <laughs> oh... I'm just going to read you two more. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I, I mean, I have two pages. I, I don't know what to tell you. But like I said, I, 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 I know you're tired. I know you are. I don't blame you. Okay, so here's this one. I like this one. I can't stop drinking the coffee. If I stop drinking the coffee, I stop doing the standing and the walking and the words into sentences doing. <laughs> And then this is my favorite one. I'm ending with this, and I shouldn't, because you will think I'm looking at you, and I'm really not. A yawn is a silent scream for coffee. (laughs) It's a silent scream. Oh, I just love that. (laughs) So maybe you'll be awake. Awake enough for us to finish because I did try to leave you hanging. In fact, table nine, that's my table. They started asking me some questions. What about this? What about this? Are you gonna answer this? And I said, Yes, yes, and yes. So maybe we'll get to it. I am gonna put you're gonna think this is weird how I'm gonna say it, but I may not have enough time tomorrow, and I wanted to make sure I got it the bulk of Um, Abigail in in the first session, but I do want to talk with you just for a second about reading your Bible, okay? It is the best decision you will make. You will come to the end of your life, and I am already aging, and there are things that I wish I had done differently. But I know that I will never say, why did I spend so much time reading my Bible? That will never, never happen. So sometimes when I'm teaching something from the Bible, it's just that I am encouraging you to think and ask questions. And why I call the series Step Into Her Sandals. Don't Read a story and say, oh, I've heard this before. Read it from the perspective of, this is the first time I've read this. 
this is going to be, I, I can't wait to see what happens. Um, the Bible I have used for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years is an ESV Bible that they had on sale at some bookstore for $5. And so I, I got that. And so it doesn't matter. I mean, I taped the corners so they would stay down. You know, it's, it's just in a big mess. So I decided, you know, if I'm going there, maybe I should get a new Bible. So I got a new Bible. But you know how it is when you're breaking in a new Bible. You go, oh, all my notes. Oh, I had such good ideas in that one. And you know what I realized? One of the things Bible teachers will say is there is an inexhaustible depth to the Bible. In other words, you can't get to the end of mining everything that is in God's word. So when I took this Bible, and, and literally this Bible is only two weeks old, and I said, oh no, that's, oh, I, I, I had such good notes and all this kind of stuff, and I thought, wait a minute, if there is inexhaustible depth to the Bible, and what I need today at this stage of my life is not what I needed 12 years ago when I bought that Bible. So there will be new things. So I said, oh, that's great. Now I can just mark up, start marking up new because there's new things. Oh, this is so great. Let me write this down. So in just about four or five passages of scripture, I've already really marked it up. My point that I'm making is you must, you must get in God's word. You must. And it doesn't matter if you say, but I'm so tired in the morning. Yes, you are. But will you pre be prepared for the crisis or the opposition that will come? We live in a fallen world. It's going to come, ladies, and you know it. So don't ever say, ah, I'll just do it later. Because for so many years, that's what, I would, that's what I would do. I would say, oh, I, well, I won't do it. And this is what happens. You say, oh, well, I'm just going to miss this one day. I'm just, I, I, just, I don't have time today. I'm so busy. And then all of a sudden, the second day, it's just a little easier. It doesn't hurt quite as much. Wow, oh, you know, Lord, you know what a busy day this is. So you let it go a third day. By the fourth day, your conscience doesn't even bother you anymore. God's Holy Spirit is not even tapping you on the shoulder. So just tell yourself, I'm going to do it. Now, we'll talk about this more with Martha and Mary. But you can start small. And I'm not even making you, I, I think my brother Don, he encourages Bible reading. I love reading huge swaths of the Bible. I, I just do. Partly because at this stage of my life, I have time to. So if I read a whole book of the Bible, I get kind of the whole story. It, it, it encapsulates, okay? But... If I ever get off track or I say, I just don't have time, I've wasted a day. See, the time that has already passed, I can't get that back. I can't get it back. 
The first time I tried reading my Bible through was when I was a sophomore in high school. And you know how you do January 1st. So I'm going to read the Bible through in a year. January 1st. I'm in 10th grade. I'm still 15 years old. And I start reading. And man, I love reading Genesis. Genesis, Exodus, to me, they just read like a novel. I just can't wait. It's just great. I get to Leviticus. And that was hard to plow through. But let me tell let me give you just a plug for Leviticus. One year, and this was, I don't know, maybe just 10 years ago. I, I would always read it, but man, sacrifices, sheesh, there's a lot of blood, you know, all that kind of stuff. And one time, it's like God's Holy Spirit just gave me an understanding. And I could say, I love the book of Leviticus. Because I, I think that time I saw Jesus in it, in the sacrifices, I saw it. So then I'm going the next year, oh, this will be great. Well, it, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel that great about Leviticus the next time. But I still read it. But I still read it. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's water. It's just a little bit, sorry. I, I start spilling my water. And then it happened again. Leviticus came alive for me. I did this once with Janae um, about Ezekiel. Do you ever remember that? I didn't like Ezekiel, and this is why. I hated that God wouldn't let him mourn for his wife. His wife died, and God said, you cannot mourn for her. And that really ticked me off. I didn't understand why God wouldn't just let him. (laughs) Anyway, and one year, Ezekiel just came alive for me. So anyway, I say all that to say 10th grade. I, so you know how it goes. You're busy, you're playing basketball, you're, you know, you're, you're a teenager. There's just other stuff to do. But I was determined I was going to finish the Bible. I was going to finish Revelation by December 31st. So now, like in October, I'm having to read like 35 chapters. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But I did it. I did it. And that was the start. I saw my mom read her Bible all the time. I saw my dad study. My, my dad was a minister of music, so he loved the Psalms. That was his favorite. So he spent lots of times in the Psalms. But until I made it important in my life. So all I am saying to you is read your Bible. Just do it. And we'll talk in a little bit tomorrow about how you engage, how you engage in the scriptures, okay? Anyway, that's my plug. Let's dig into Abigail. So we've just left off, let's see, we just finished, I don't know, about verse 31, I think, of chapter 25. Um, And she is speaking truth. She is talking about his destiny, his dynasty, um, this sure house that God is creating for him. So, and then she she talks about battles, and she says, she says, um, God wants you to fight his battles, but basically, this is not one of them. This is not one of God's battles, okay? So you need to let God 
be the avenger. Because obviously, I mean, this young man's reputation, he's going, I got to do something. I'm killing them all. And she says, no, 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 wait. Let God handle this. Okay? Um, David's kingship, if he will wait, God's kingship and his kingdom will be established. David's record will be unblemished. His conscience will be clear, and he will not have violated the Torah command to avenge wrong. Leviticus 19.18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Where have you heard that? Isn't that interesting? That's how it ends. I am the Lord. Deuteronomy 32.35 says, vengeance is mine. Her intervention is the Lord's means of preserving David's moral integrity. Revenge, she says, is for fools. And she says, not if the Lord has dealt well, but when the Lord has dealt well, then remember your servant. Now, this is where I want to do the mic drop. Boom. Her speech has ended. Okay, let's keep reading at verse 32. And David, so so David has listened, has heard her out up to this point, what's going to happen. And David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried, there David's saying it, he he figures it out, man, she is really fast. Unless you had hurried and come to meet me truly by morning, there had not been one left of Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him. That's all that food truck stuff. And he said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition. This is what I tried to warn Peter. He's the sound man back here. I I, I warned him ahead of time because I'm going to say this. Guess what? A man is teachable. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding, Peter. (laughs) God used a woman to avert disaster and deadly revenge, not to mention David's sleepless, guilt-ridden sleeping. I mean, because that would now be on his conscience if he had gone through with what he wanted to. Blessed be the Lord who sent you to meet me this day, okay? David realized, oh, this is bigger than just Nabal and Abigail and me. This is God who did this. Basically, he was saying, you're a godsend, Abby. You did it. Our dear Abby was a godsend. Blessed be your discretion. Now, again, several things that she did, she realized she better hurry, she better offer food, and then she offered wise counsel. 
Um, Blessed be you who have kept me this day from avenging with my own hand. David accepted the gift and even said, See, I have obeyed your voice. And he made her a promise now. You can go up to your house in peace. Because there might always be that sense of, Is he serious or is he going to do an ambush, you know, after I get back home? But he said, you're okay. You, you, are, um, you can go in peace. I'm not going to harm anyone. Okay, verse 36. Uh, let's see. And Abigail, oh, and so Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast. So all this has happened. She's just averted all this. She turns around. She's got to take her donkey back to her husband who doesn't know what she just did. He was holding a feast in the house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. Now, wait a minute. You might think, what, is she doing something underhanded? Is this devious? Let's keep reading. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, His wife told him these things. So she explained the whole story. And it says, And his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. What a day for Abigail. I thought she probably should start writing articles for the local news scroll, Dear Abby. The wilderness drama is not yet over. Nabal is hosting another party. See what I said? Feasting time around sheep shearing is big. Uh, He's too drunk to engage in meaningful conversation. She is not going to use the, well, I told you when he was drunk because he wouldn't remember. She owes it to him, it turns out one last time, to explain the events of the last 24 hours when he is sober. Upon hearing the account, he became as stone, much like his life. He was just a stone-hearted man. And whether a stroke or a coma, we don't know. Scholars, you know, say a lot of different things. About 10 days later, the Lord struck him. This was not natural causes because it says the Lord struck him. Verse 39. When David heard, man, news travels fast. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. And David sent, we're going to talk about this. And David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said, David has sent us to take you as his wife. And she arose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried. 
Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. All right. I find this so interesting. And one of the things that kind of bothers me is, again, David is sending men, if I'm reading this correctly, David is sending men to Abigail and saying, David wants, and I'm going, dude, go yourself, man. What is the problem? Just go yourself. Tell her. Get on one knee. Do something. Anyway, for the third time, Abby hurried and rose and mounted a donkey. What is interesting is it says there were five young women that attended her, so handmaids, uh, servants that went with her. And the Bible doesn't tell us anything about whether she left all that behind. There was wealth. Did she leave it all behind? Was she okay with that? Apparently she was. And we don't know. But she took her five servants on their donkeys, her donkey, she goes. She didn't look back. This is so interesting. David marries his negotiator. No, I don't think Abigail had to think twice. She gets the invitation, will you be David's wife? Yes, I will. She hurries. I love that. I don't know if she's thinking, what if David changes his mind? I better hurry. I don't know. But anyway, she hurries. Um, and I, I was thinking about this. So we know Nabal's name means fool. Do you remember what David's name means? Beloved. She went from marrying a man whose name means fool to a man whose name means beloved. I love that. Wow, what a, what a 180. That's amazing. Okay. Uh, of course, there are challenges in every relationship. There always are. David, meanwhile, had married another wife, Ahinoam. Now, if you know anything about David's family, you know that his firstborn is named Amnon. Amnon had a really, he was really bad. He did something really bad. And it ended up, one of his half-brothers ended up seeking revenge. But anyway, Amnon is the son of David and Ahinoam. So, David had married another woman, and now Abigail's got to contend for her husband's affections. She is also marrying a man who is still on the run from Saul. She's going to start living wilderness life. She even, for a time, ended up living in enemy territory. When David couldn't take it anymore, he said, I, I can't keep running. He went to Philistine land and lived there for a time. Enemies. So all of his men, all of their you know, wives, children, whoever, they're going to. Now she's in enemy territory as a Jewish woman herself. And, by the way, she was kidnapped. You heard me. She was kidnapped. In 1 Samuel 30, the Amalekites swooped into David's camp while he was away, and sons and daughters and wives were all kidnapped. So, David's men were about at the end of their ropes. They're just saying, I don't think we can take this anymore. 
And in the middle of the chaos, it's so interesting, in Samuel 30, verse 6, David said, uh, uh, the, the scripture says, and David strengthened himself in the Lord. And he said, yeah, this is bad. All the men are crying because they're our goods, our families. They've all been taken hostage. They've all been kidnapped. David, so he says, again, we've got to go after him. We have to get him back. Of course we do. They find they're not quite sure where the Amalekite camp is. So they just go in the direction they think he is, and they find a slave of the Amalekites. He has been left to die because he's sick. He's of Egyptian descent. So they've just left him to die. So he's probably starving. He's sick. He hasn't had water. He's just there. So David, again, reverts back to kindness, and he says, you know where the Amalekites are, don't you? Yes, I do. We will feed you. We'll give you water. You tell us where they are. And he says, so he gets his food and water, and he says, I'll tell you, but you can't make me go back there. David said, that's fine. So he showed kindness. They found, David and his men, they found everybody. They recovered everything. Every last little purse, every sandal, they got everything back, including Abigail and Ahinoam. Okay. In 2 Samuel 2.2, David is anointed king. Now, what's so interesting, this always blows me away. You think about all we know about David's life. At 17, he's killing Goliath, okay? So between 17 and 30, I would have said he has lived two lifetimes. He had such an adventurous life. He's only 30, and now for the second time, he's being anointed as king because by this time, Saul has been killed. Saul and his three sons have been killed. So now David can legitimately be the next king, the second king of Israel. And he's only 30. For the first seven years of his kingdom, he lived in Hebron. And the scripture tells us, again, in 2 Samuel 2, he lived in Hebron for seven years. In 2 Samuel 3, 3, David and Abigail have a son. Someone at table nine asked about, did they have any children? They did. Caleb was born while they lived in Hebron, while he was, his kingdom was being established in Hebron. However, commentators say that he probably died in childhood because there is no record of his descendants. So Caleb, we don't know what happened to him. We know he was born. We know he lived for a time. But there's no history of him growing up and having children. And it is also true that he was not part of the messianic line. Remember, the messianic line was going to come through David and Bathsheba and their son, Solomon. So, her story essentially ends um, in second, oh yeah, 
I have to just tell you this in case it ever comes up. In Second Chronicles, First Chronicles 3.1, Abigail's son is called Daniel. He's known as Kalia, but he's called Daniel. So I did some research, and I'll have to tell you, I got nothing. I don't know why he's called Daniel. Commentators don't know. Nobody really knows. But Kaleb is what we're going with. Okay, um, We're going to talk just for a little bit about discernment. This word or form of the word appears twice in the story. Abigail is called discerning. And then later David praises her for her discretion. The word is translated in several ways in chapter 25, verse 3, of good understanding, intelligent, sensible, wise. It comes from a Hebrew word, sekel, which means prudence or insight. It conveys more than just knowledge. It's not just knowledge that she is giving, but she is giving sense. She is giving understanding. We don't use this word very much, but shrewdness. She was shrewd in her speaking with David. I'm not always as spiritually discerning as I ought to be, and that's probably why, and I was talking with Allie about this on our, um, she picked me up this afternoon, so I was just telling a little of this story about one of the reasons why discernment became so important to me. This hit home, and I mentioned this before, this hit home during civil unrest, the candidates for president, COVID, three Cs. Um, Sometimes I realized I relied on what I wanted to hear or what I hoped would be true. I am conservative. And I realized I wasn't always right. It's something I'm working on, um, but this is what happened. I'll just tell you this. Um, We have, so my family is on WhatsApp because we've got, I've got kids overseas. So Parks Fam is WhatsApp and all of us. So my children, um, their spouses and my husband and I, we're all part of Parks Fam. So a particular incident happened, and I'm trying to read up on this. I'm trying to see what, what's, what really happened, what's right. I, I, I want to I get this right. And I found an article. In fact, I don't, it may have been a video, an article. I don't want to go back and look, to tell you the truth. But anyway, I, so I posted it to Parks Fam, and I said, just tell me what you think. I, I, this is kind of interesting. Maybe there is another side. Well, at first there was silence. None of the kids responded. And then they all responded. Most importantly was my oldest son, Eric. Some of you have met his wife, Catherine Parks. And understand, Eric's a gentle man, almost 40. He's just very gentle in spirit. He's not harsh. He wrote 13 reasons why what I said was wrong. (laughs) I laugh about it now, but I'm going, oh no. So of course, I did have to apologize. I'm sorry. I wasn't thinking clearly. And it was kind of 
It was what maybe I kind of hoped would be true, but maybe wasn't, or it was partially true, but it wasn't all the truth. You know, it was one angle, and that's, that was very hard. So that's when I began to realize I, I've got to work on discretion. Um, I am married to a pastor, so sometimes I can ask my husband, what do you think about this? And he can help me a little bit. I have called my two stateside brothers, so my brother Jim in Indiana, my brother Don here. I've called them before, and I said, I don't know about this. Can you, is this right or wrong? What do I, what am I supposed to think about this? Anyway, and they give me clarity. Um, I knew my little brothers would be good for something. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson, in his book, In Christ Alone, shares many, shared many ins, uh, insights concerning discernment. So some of these thoughts come from him. This is one of the things he says. True discernment means not only distinguishing the primary from the secondary, the essential from the indifferent. It means distinguishing between the good and the better, and even between the better and the best. So David perhaps had options, and Abigail said, I'm going to help you find the best option. What is the best thing you could do right now? There's endless choices perhaps in our lives But instead of saying, I think this is right, we go to God's word, we go to him in prayer, and we ask God's Holy Spirit, help me, I don't get this. Am I thinking right? Is there something I'm leaving out? What is the best way for me to think about this? Abigail seemed to be able to distinguish and recognize the moral implications of her situation and the course of action to take. That comes with practice. And when, we've talked about this, and when she was married to Nabal, I'm guessing she had lots of practice. Discernment, if I can take you back to Proverbs, discernment is rooted in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs 1.7, is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Now, you understand probably it's not this kind of fear. It's an awe and a reverence for who the Lord God Almighty is. So we hold him in high esteem. We revere him. That's how we fear him. We understand our place compared to him, and we are nothing, okay? Um, King Solomon, remember David's son, Solomon, asked God to help him discern between good and evil. He said, I'm just like a little kid. I don't know. God, will you help me discern what is good, what isn't? I want to get it right. He asked, and God responded, and God said, in fact, First uh, Kings 3, 9, Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind. James 1, 5 says, ask. You want wisdom? Ask. I'm here to do it. See, that was my problem. I thought, I think I can handle this one on my own. 
I think this is a no-brainer. Oh, it was a brainer. (laughs) I needed to think more. I needed to listen to God. Is this the best way to think about this situation? Proverbs 17.24 says, The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of the fool are on the ends of the earth. So I I wrestled with, because I I found that verse, and I'm going, what does that mean? The eyes of a fool are on the end of the earth. And I kept wrestling with that and wrestling with that. So when the discerning face uh, sets his face toward wisdom, it's it's your single-minded. I'm going to focus on God. When you are on the ends of the earth, it's, I'm looking at everything. Nothing can't be considered. It, it could all be right. So it ends up being everything and nothing. So when we keep our focus on wisdom instead of an earthly viewpoint, um, keep in mind four ways that discernment affects how we live. It is a means of protection. It guards us from being deceived spiritually. Number two, we're able to diagnose the spiritual needs of others and help them face heart issues. See, that's how it was for Abigail. David could not see beyond his own anger. He could hardly see beyond the end of his nose. And Abigail said, this is really a heart issue. This is not just... Yeah, I'm really mad at this guy. It, it was big. It was a big deal. It is also, number three, a key to Christian freedom because we're not enslaved to an uneducated conscience. Part of the problem is we hear, oh, this is the, the latest speaker. This is the latest author. And if we're not careful, we may even be taken in by what sounds good, or the title sounds good, but again, we are basing it against God, against God's take on it, not ours. And it is, number four, a catalyst to spiritual development. It brings together God's words with his works. So we blend the two and we say, oh, this is what God wants of me, or this is what perhaps God wants of this person. Brad Wetherill encourages us to ask the right questions in who we listen to. And I found this really interesting. In the last um, several weeks, I I guess because I had a physical and my cholesterol is kind of high, so so now I'm walking. So I, I, wa- I go downtown in Prattville, which is my town, and there's a beautiful creek walk. There's, there's the Otago Creek. So I walk around it, and I don't have all the fancy stuff, but I have my phone, and I'll listen to, um, actually, his name is Stuart Briscoe or Jill Briscoe, and I just, I just love them. Um, but I started thinking, okay, if I'm going to start listening to a lot of podcasts, I've got to be discerning. Is is this right? A- am, am I am I just hearing this because oh they made the podcast? It must be right. No, 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 no. So again, be discerning. So here here's what his list. Whose books do you read for teaching and encouragement? So just think about it. Whose blogs and podcasts will you subscribe to? Whose Bible study material will you use? Whose preaching do you listen to? 
So in other words, you can't believe everything you hear. I love this. So this Jill Briscoe that I just mentioned. In fact, there's a lady from England. Are you from England? Jill and Stuart Briscoe are from England. And this is what Jill says. I want to challenge you to walk into the throne room early in the morning. I was talking about prayer all by yourself and just talk. Learn to listen to, to discern the still small voice of God above the cacophony of noises around you. I just thought that was really powerful. We hear so much stuff. And sometimes we even say, wait a minute, was that God or was that just how I want it to be, you know? And so even be discerning in that still, small voice. Brad Wetherill says this, and I love this quote, the Spirit of God will always help you discern the truth of God through the Word of God. So the Spirit helps us discern truth. The Spirit of God will always help us discern the truth of God through the Word of God. So the Spirit, God, and God's Word. Though this is not the Scriptures, First uh, Samuel 25, this is not the main focus. I want to talk just briefly about being married to a difficult man. First of all, what I think is she had no say in her marriage. Marriages were always arranged, always arranged. In fact, in India today, marriages are still arranged. Whether you're Hindu or Muslim, they are mostly arranged. In India, you marry for love, sometimes, or your marriage is arranged. Our daughter's friend, so the first time we, uh, we went to India, I met some of her friends, and she said, she always makes it clear, I married for love. Not arranged, I married for love. Hence, her mother-in-law hates her. And that is also very common. Okay, if any of you are mothers-in-law, be nice. Be nice. Okay, that's just an aside. Our son-in-law had a similar story. One, so the way um, Peter and Jennifer, our, our India family, the way they engage um, society where they live is they just go into a store, go down the street, and you just try to say hello to people. So Peter began to make friends with a guy who owned just this teeny, it's hardly any bigger than a kiosk. And he'd go down there and Peter would buy a Coke and he would, he would kind of hang out with this young man, Gorev, Gorev. Okay. In time, Peter learned, as he started working on his Hindi too, he learned that his friend had an arranged marriage, but he still pined for his true love. In fact, sometimes he would play his true love's their favorite song. He's married because an arranged marriage. So I think that is very common. Now, I also kind of want to say, yikes. So what I think... Um, 
I think Abigail's marriage was probably arranged with Nabal. We, we understand that Nabal's character was awful, and somehow our dear Abby seems to bear up under it. She didn't stoop to his level. She apparently didn't even party with him. Apparent, and, and I would guess he didn't even want her there, probably, you know, that last party that, um, she, that he had. She actually chose the noblest thing to do. She saved her husband's life. She could not save his reputation. So, recently, I read a book, an interesting book, and I kind of read it with this idea in mind. It's called Salt and Light, The Spiritual Journey of Elizabeth and Felix Lesueur. Felix, on the eve of their marriage, told his beloved fiance Elizabeth, oh, by the way, I'm atheist. This is the night before they were going to get married. She's stunned because she is very devout. She loves God. She loves his word. So the journey that she decided to take, and it's so interesting because the biographer would keep talking about how Felix loved Elizabeth so much, but the truth is he wouldn't let her go to church the only friends that she, friendships that she made were with other atheists and agnostic because he Felix wanted to entertain but it was all his friends and so at some point she of course because this is this is in 1900 of course she dies young it's so sad but she kept a careful journal so she never talked bad she never said anything, but she wrote in her journal, and a lot of her journal is her prayers. She prayed, and she prayed such a bold prayer. She said, I pray that Felix will come to trust Jesus and that he will even go into full-time service. Uh, he made fun of her. I said that. Um, she prayed that for years. She died in her 40s, after which Felix, reading her diaries um, and scripture himself, he eventually became a Benedictine monk. Isn't that interesting, the transformation? Because she said, I'm not going to fight it. I'm not going to fight it. I'm sure she had to bite her tongue a lot, but she said, I'm just going to love my husband, and I'm going to pour out my soul to God. Um, that ends our discussion, I think. Yes, that ends our discussion with Abigail. Humble, feed them, um, use and pray for discernment. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening to this class from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this class to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more classes, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.